You're listening to Athletes the Other Side, a podcast that explores the path sportsmen and women tread when they're not competing in the sporting arena. With your host, Ben Nichols. So welcome back to Athletes the Other Side, this new podcast that explores the unsung sides of athletes' lives, their many chapters away from the sporting field. And so here we are, episode four. I'm Ben Nichols, formerly of the World Anti-Doping Agency, Commonwealth Games Federation, Dubai Tennis Championships and more. Today, in this fourth outing, I'm speaking to an athlete with an infectious zest for life, as humble in her approach to life as she is helpful to all those that she meets along the way. Listening in today, you'll leave charmed by the authenticity of this hometown hero who, in her own words, just wants to look at the outside world and try to help. She's an American middle distance runner who specializes in the 3,000 meter steeplechase. In 2017, a year after winning bronze at the Olympic Games in Rio, she became world champion, winning the steeplechase in London with a time of 9.02.58. And in doing so, she became the first ever American woman to win a gold medal in the World Championship steeplechase. She's also an eight-time national US champion, three-time NCAA champion, and six-time All-American. This small-town girl is far from small on ambition, however, as at the mere age of 29, not only has she been top of the track, but she's starting to make waves off it too. She's founder of the Elk Run, a 5K run surging in popularity that raises money to provide financial and emotional support to people with cancer. This individual has something of the entrepreneur about her as she manages her own online shop, selling home exercise equipment, and as an avid cook, she provides fellow athletes and fans her own favourite home-cooked recipes online. Recently, she's become known for her advocacy for clean sport, and she was one of the leading voices calling for reform of the anti-doping system in the wake of the Russian doping scandal. This summer, the growing passion for athlete advocacy led her to jointly form a track and field athlete rights movement alongside Olympic champion triple jumper Christian Taylor. The movement's called the Athletics Association, and it also counts Katerina Johnson-Thompson, Adam Jamili, and Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price in its ranks. So my guest for episode number four of this new podcast, Athletes the Other Side, is Emma Coburn. Thanks so much for joining me on this fourth episode of Athletes the Other Side. How are you doing over in Colorado? I am great. Just training and enjoying the nice weather and yeah not not, nothing exciting but but everything is good good well look I just wanted to start off um diving into kind of where you know where you grew up and obviously where you live now and and your story and how far you've come and and everything you've achieved along the way you know in many ways to so I guess to the outsider it's it's an all-american story you grew up in Crested Boots you um it's a town of under 2,000 people in western Colorado you went to the local community school and then attended the University of Colorado. You went on to become a world champion. And now, you know, you're something of a local hero. You returned home and set up a community 5K run for charity for, for an adoring local public. Is that kind of summary how it feels to you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all everything you said is the truth. That is my story. And I, um, you know, growing up in this small town, it is just a a paradise it's really remote but it's incredibly beautiful it's a ski town so um you know for europeans i would 
compare it somewhat to San Moritz um, in terms of what like the geography around here is like, but um, it is it is really gorgeous and quaint and beautiful. And I was really lucky to grow up here. Um, and being in a small mountain town, I, I grew up playing a lot of different sports and being athletic. And because I participated in so many sports, I really didn't see myself as a runner until probably I was, you know, 17, um, until I was a senior in high school. Um, and so I think that's a little bit unusual. Most of my peers had dreams of being an Olympian since they were little and they had, you know, goals of running at the collegiate level since they were young. And my goals and dreams were a lot later in that regard because I was just busy playing other sports and skiing and having fun elsewhere. So um, the fact that now I'm, you know, an Olympic medalist and world champion uh, coming from a small town like this is a little, is a little weird and different, but it means a lot that I can spend so much time here now as an adult and give back with this charity 5k. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty happy little story and I'm still writing it and I'm still living it. And I feel like the best is yet to come. Yeah, absolutely. And you say, you know, as you say, you're still writing it. I mean, is it, is it kind of that type of story where you think, you know, you obviously grew up with people there that are, you know, still there in the town today and they've seen you rise and rise and go through so many achievements already in your life. Um, they must be so pleased for you. It must mean a huge amount to a small population like that to see someone really become a superstar in their own right. Well, it's we actually have a few um, winter sport Olympians from Crested Butte. Um, and so it me being athletically um you know, successful isn't that unusual. Um, but it, it certainly feels special to have, you know, the, my teachers and my coaches from when I was a kid still, um, know and interact with, you know, today I was in line getting a coffee and the writer from the local paper that has been writing stories on the team sports I played since I was 12 was there and we got to chat. So there is just a sense of community being from a small town. Um, and, everyone here is pretty athletic and, and interested in outdoor activities. So I think they can respect what my job is and respect the hard work that, you know, competing at the highest level takes, but they still just all know me as Emma. And I don't think they think I'm anything that special, but they're, I think they're proud, but yeah, to them, I'm just Emma. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I guess to an extent we'll come onto your career on the track in a minute, but it's, you know, to an extent in the in England and other countries, you know, when a when a team, um, you know, does well, wins a World Cup or something huge like that, you know, it's the done thing. Now they come back to sort of open top bus parades, a huge lining of the streets, all that kind of thing. What was the sort of return like for you after your biggest successes, like your world world championship? Well, um, the the local movie theater, I think in the in the 2016 Olympics played my race in the theater and you could come and watch it at, you know, 11 AM or whatever it was. Um, you could come and watch the race live. And so it's just little things like that where people who, you know, obviously people that I was close with growing up, you know, we, we chat and text and stuff, but then people that maybe didn't know me as much growing up, but now can kind of get to know me in this new phase in my career and, and root for me. Um, it's really cool because the community as a whole is just so you know excited and welcoming um, and happy to root for a local kid on the highest stage. So the, the reception is, um, you know, 
any kid that grows up here, we know everyone. And so it's not unusual for me to be, you know, on a run or walking down the street and people say, hey, I'm on and mm. wish me good luck. But that's kind of the case with any kid that grows up here. You yell across the street, oh, hey, how's it going? Um, so mm. it's it's pretty still quaint and charming, the reception that I get. It's not It's not like a, you know, a European soccer star that gets a double-decker bus parade, but it's really... <laughs> sweet and uh charming and exactly what Crested Butte is yeah fantastic well look, I mean one of the things you said was you know you want to look at the world outside yourself and help others what drives that kind of philosophy within you is it you know now that you've achieved so much already is it you want to give back or is that kind of sense of giving back always been there well I I think there's always been a really deep pride for my hometown and my community and a real sense of um yeah loyalty to my community and wanting to help here in um Crest Butte and always been very you know pe- proud and passionate about that but um like the charity that I donate to now we when I was in high school I would volunteer with um with a bunch of my friends so there's there is just an ingrained sense of community that you help each other but I do think once I you know, had won my Olympic bronze. Um, my husband was like, we have to do more, you know, this is, it's really special what what you're doing on the track. And that's, that's awesome. But like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing outside of that? And how are you leaving this world a better place? And I think as athletes, we so often get the laser focus on just our own careers and our own Mm. lives. And that works, you know, that's totally, that totally works for a lot of people. And that's, that's admirable because you're supporting your families and you're trying to leave a legacy in your sport. But for me, I felt that for me to be happy and fulfilled, I need to do something different and something more. And, um, so in 2017, we started planning this charity 5k. And then at the end of 2017, I won the world championship. Um, and then two or three weeks later, we had our very first, um, elk run 5k, which is, the race I'm, I'm talking about. Um, mm. and so that all kind of culminated at the same time that the biggest moment in my sporting career lined up right when I was really taking this big push into giving back, um, with this charity. But I think, you know, also in anti-doping advocacy and, um, now with the athletics association, I think I find joy in, in, seeing problems and trying to help solve them um, Mm. instead of just being frustrated and mad and banging my head against the wall that I'm mad about a certain way or a rule or something, but I'm just sitting there complaining about it privately instead of trying to, you know, push for the change or be the advocate. Um, So that for me is just something that is satisfying and makes me feel better about whatever turmoil is happening around me. If I feel like I'm actively, um, engaged in trying to solve it, that, that helps me, um, you know, feel better about it. Uh, Absolutely. I think that's really interesting the way you, your take on that, you know, if you can look at, you know, life and the, and the people there are in the, in a kind of very simplistic way, which often you can't, there's, you know, my view there's, yeah, there's everyone likes to have a complaint about something that could be done better or, uh, should be improved or isn't quite right. And there's a huge number of people that complain, but do nothing about it. And then there's, 
there's those doers that get out there and think, okay, it's not perfect, but how can I, even in a small way, make a bit of difference and and contribute to the greater cause or or help shift something along and change society? And you know that sense of again that sense of purpose. It's clear that you know that's been ingrained in you for years. Yeah, and I think part of it is the people in my life that have who I admire who also do that. Um, you know, I used to train with. Kara Goucher, and she's been a really big vocal advocate um, in the anti-doping world, and mm. she really opened my eyes to um, looking beyond what might directly be impacting you and, and being brave enough to kind of talk about it. Um, and then there's women like Molly Huddle or um, Alicia Montano that have talked about a wide-ranging you know, issues in track and field in the U.S. or in women's sport. Um, and those, all three of those women are personal friends, being women in sport that are actively competing and still trying to make good change in the sport, um, made me feel excited to help contribute as well. Um, and then it also helps that like my biggest sponsor, New Balance, they are really supportive of all that I do. They, they just, they care about how I do on the track, obviously, um, you know, are really supportive of what I'm passionate about. And I've never felt, you know, any friction or tension from that side of it as well. And so I think that's, you know, I'm in a position with them where they're um, just supportive and believe in me. And so whatever I feel like doing, I think they trust that it's the right thing for me. Yeah, well, it's so important to have the backing and kind of, you know, advocacy of sponsors as well to help you really kind of generate the, you know, the cause driven work you want to do. And I want to just touch on your on track career as well. And this this series, it's not about sport itself. It's not about the the on track success. But it is. I do want to touch on that because the comparison between that and obviously what you do away from away from running looking at your success obviously world champion in 2017 bronze medalist back in rio in 2016 does that feel like unfinished business is there still a lot more to come oh yeah there's still a lot more to come um i definitely you know in 2018 i won silver at the world championships um and in 2020 my goal was to be on the podium in tokyo so that basically ever since 2016, that's been my standard is that I want to be on the podium of these global championships. Um, I think I've had some really great role models in U.S. track and field that have made me feel like that's possible. Um, one of the biggest, you know, one of the best American distance runners of all time, Jenny Simpson, and she's won four global medals. Um, and she just knows how to get it done. Um, she knows how to show up to a race and, uh, even if she's not ranked the fastest, come in and win a medal and do it consistently. So, um, I think there's people that have, you know, laid the groundwork for me to believe that I still have many great years of racing ahead and many medals left to win. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like there's some great you know, some great moments yet to be achieved in my career. I want to break nine minutes. Um, I want to set the American record. I want to win more global medals. Um, yeah, I've got a lot to do. <laughs> lots, lots to do, clearly. What, what, um, you know, the Tokyo impact, it's impacted all Olympic and Paralympic athletes. What, how does that change your mindset? How much of a setback is that? Or do you wake up one day and, you know, the, the day following the news when it's postponed and think, 
okay, that is what it is. I've got to work around it and adjust my schedule and training and, and crack on. Like, what's your mentality for something like that? Um, the, the latter, the, you know, I hear the news and I think, all right, well, this is just what the reality is. And, um, just got to crank on. I think, I don't know where I've acquired this skill or if it's natural in me, but I really, um, I don't really get that emotional with performances and training. And I, you know, even when I'm in having a hard time emotionally with something else, um, my training and my racing is, is not affected. Um, I really know how to just take what, what the news is and find the way to navigate through it. Um, and so whether that's, you know, me running a a bad race, you know, I can bounce back the next day and just look at the race and say, what did I do wrong? What do I need to do better in my training next time? I got to move on instead of beating myself up and wallowing in self-pity for two weeks. Um, so I think that's the skill that I'm not super emotional with my training or racing. And so when the Olympics were postponed, you know, I think also being part of athletics association where we are able to talk globally with athletes and say, you know, this, this is the only decision. This is the only decision that makes sense. Um, not only for safety of competing at the games, but the logistics and safety of training currently, um, was so impacted globally that it just, you know, there wasn't anything to talk about, you know, it it had to be postponed. And so, um, uh, you know, my husband is my coach and we mm. look at it logically and say, okay, what, what can we get out of this year? What things can we try different in training and make the most of this longer timeline? Um, what yeah. things were we maybe a little too nervous to try in previous years that we can try this year? Cause it's low risk or what are, you know, what are events that I haven't run that I want to try this year? This year I got to run an 800 which I hadn't done since, you know, 2010 in college. So we, we found the good in it. And while, you know, it would have been fabulous to be standing on the podium in Tokyo, um, the, the dream is just deferred a little bit to next year and the work we put in really good work this year. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't emotionally draining for me. Yeah. It's a really pragmatic way of looking at it. When do you think you wanted to become a runner did you know really early on in life that that's what you wanted to do what what age was it I hated running um I only <laughs> ran um, like so many of us <laughs> right um so I only ran I started in sixth grade so I was 11 or 12 um and I only signed up for track because my older siblings had signed up for track and I just was my whole life following everything they did trying to tag along um to get to hang out with them. So I signed up for track and my brother had signed up for the distance team. So my sister signed up for the distance team. So I did. Um, and I was, I was winning races right away, but I'm from such a small town that we're competing against other small, small towns racing on dirt tracks. You know, it just wasn't a big deal at all in the area in Colorado that I'm from. Um, and So I loved playing. I played hockey. I loved skiing. I loved snowboarding. I played basketball. I played volleyball. Um, And so I loved all those other sports. And running is just really hard, as everyone knows. Um, And it's also, uh, it's such an individual sport that as I got older and continued to win races, the pressure and the stress of 
you know, having the eyes on me on the starting line and the pressure to win really was something I hated. And I would cry sometimes before races. I, I really disliked that aspect of it. And then when I was 16, I met my husband and he was really into running and he had a really, um, great mindset with running that it was all opportunity and it was a way to challenge yourself and see how good you could be. And it was a way to go to college. And he just Mm -hmm. had such this glass half full instead of this glass half empty mentality. Um, and I had a crush on him. So I was like, all right, well, if he thinks that's (laughs) cool, I do too. Um, and I had a a coach at the time that really kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of running at a bigger level and that it's all good and not scary. Um, And so then I ended up getting a scholarship to run at the University of Colorado. But I went in there thinking I make, I told my dad, I was like, I might only go one semester. He's like, that's okay. Just make it one semester. And then my coaches there were great and were really, um, you know, patient with me being kind of a low mileage runner. They helped me grow into being a higher mileage athlete. And um, I loved the team and I started really loving running and training. And so I, I got over it you know, in a couple of years, but it took me meeting my husband and having a crush on this guy that thought running was cool to, uh, to finally get over the hump. Hmm. I, I think that's amazing actually, like how, how late you got into running, you know, you compare it to some sports, um, you know, tennis was my sport growing up and I was, I was playing from whatever age I could, I think it was three or four, it was ridiculously young. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people in tennis and individual sports like that who start really young as soon as they can pick up a racket or whatever it is. And and they burn out by by their teens or whatever, because they probably started too young. It's gone too serious too early. But actually, you know, the message, you know, that you're sending there is actually for your sport and for other sports. People can start a lot later and still develop and and be in their prime in their 20s when so many athletes are really um, at the top of their game. And I think that's that's something that's lost in a lot of people thinking they've got to really make that decision early on in life. Yeah. And I think part of it is again, being from a small town, our school let us participate in all the sports um, because they just needed bodies to fill up the teams. So I do think at least in the States, if you're at a bigger school, the sports programs make you kind of pick one sport and you do club soccer and you're in soccer year round. And it's, it's, full full on even if you don't necessarily want to so I think it's I think I I just happen to luck into a really um into a place that let me try a bunch of different things um but yeah I really didn't start you know when I was 17 um 16 17 I would run 15 miles a week only in the fall and in the spring I didn't run in the winter because I was playing basketball and I didn't run in the summer because I was at basketball camps and volleyball camps. Um, (laughs) So then I got to college and started running maybe 40 mile weeks. And then, you know, six months later was up to 50 mile weeks and six months later up to 60. So I really was a late bloomer compared to a lot of my um, peers on my college team. But yeah, it definitely made me, um, I think I still have like so many great years ahead of me. I don't think I've ever been overtrained. I think, um, it worked out for me, but I think there's, a, you know, there's also been some great runners that were excellent when they were 10 and are still excellent now. So I don't think there's, you know, one correct way to do it, but it worked yeah. out for me. Yeah. There's no textbook way. It's, it's kind of, you know, individual circumstance and different journeys along the way can, can be success. Um, 
one of one of the things you know i've really noticed if you've got huge ambitions away from running you know you mentioned it earlier tell us a little bit about the 5k run you set up in your hometown the elk 5k run and it seems to be really gathering pace how did that all come about um yeah in 2017 um in like may of 2017 um we joe my husband you know was talking about we we should do something more we have to dream a little bit bigger. Um, and so we connected with the local cancer support charity called living journeys. Um, and it's a, it's a group that my mom was on the board on for 10 years. It was started by one of my close family friends and I would volunteer with them in high school. And they, they give like emotional counseling, you know, emotional support with counseling services, um, or financial support, to pay for, um, you know, the wide ranging expenses beyond that your insurance doesn't cover when mm-hmm. going through cancer treatments, um, and to, to people in the community that have cancer. And so it's a really impactful group that has a, you know, a deep history in Crest Butte. And so we partnered with them. And in 2017, we did our first Elk Run 5k. Um, we only, we had 500 racers. We capped it at 500, but we had 500 racers. Um, and then the following year we had a thousand racers. Um, and again, the town only has 2000 or 3000, you know, so it's, it's mm-hmm. a thousand people feels like a lot. Um, but then in 2019, I was away racing the world championship. So we went virtual and then this year we were going to do an in-person race, but had to go virtual. Our first three years we raised $90,000 for them. And yeah. this year we're hoping to donate another $5,000. I'm sorry, $50,000, $50,000 to them. Um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a good way to give back obviously to this charity, but then the in-person race, we also offer good prize money to the elite runners that want to come and race and, it provides, you know, another reason for tourists to come to Crested Butte and spend money there. So it's a good way to support the town, support the elite running community, and then to support the charity. Um, but yeah, it's just me and my yeah. husband. So it's, um, it's, I think sometimes people slap their name on something and, and that's awesome because they're giving it their, um, you know, promotion. But it, I don't think people necessarily realize that like, we're the ones you know, stuffing the race bags and doing the shipping and doing all of that. Um, but it's a labor of love, but it's really fun to see so many people get to participate this year. We have 2,500 participants, um, and very excited for an in-person race next year. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the, the year's delay, I think people will be all the more hungry for, for this. And, you know, I think all the more meaningful that you and your husband are, are really involved in it in a kind of, you know, operational way and hands-on way absolutely um another thing you've started started up is a shop online selling exercise equipment and tell us about again what was the inspiration for that what's the end goal where's that leading yeah well i use like mini resistance bands you know i've been using those for years i had a, a back injury in 2013 and so since then part of my rehab was, you know, strengthening your glutes and you, um, use these mini, uh, like rubber resistance bands. Um, and so I've been using those for years. Every runner I know uses those. And again, my husband with the great ideas was, uh, like you use these, why don't we make these? 
Um, and so we make small resistance bands. We make big resistance bands, which are great for like more, um, like a full body, big workout. Um, and then sliding discs that are great for, um, core work, especially, um, but also hamstrings and, um, glutes on that. And then, um, a, a roller for your, your feet and your back. So we just started selling this stuff because I use it and all the runners I know use it. And it's really great for, um, you know, at home, easy, no big equipment needed to do rehab and prehab and weightlifting. Um, so it's, yeah, it's great. And we have so many people interested during lockdown, especially when all the gyms were closed. Um, and my Instagram has a ton of videos of me using them and my website has a bunch, but yeah, it's a nice little side business that I, I'm happy to, um, you know, share with people what, what exercises I do to stay healthy because all runners, no matter the level, um, struggle with injury and there's common, a few common injuries that pop up that can be fixed or helped with, you know, five or 10 minutes a day of doing a couple easy exercises. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's nice to be able to share the knowledge that I've acquired through getting injuries, um, with people and, and people seem to respond well. And, and then another side that you, you seem to have an interest in is cooking and culinary, um, your culinary expertise. Obviously you've got a, a piece on your website where, uh, you're giving, giving people ingredients. What's the, what's the interest there and where does that come from? Um, I have been, I've been cooking on my own really since I got to college, but I grew up, my mom is a really great cook and, um, I've always loved baking with her too. Um, and so yeah, just over the years really got more and more interested in cooking. I think as a professional athlete, one, we know food is such important fuel for us. Um, but also we have a lot more time on our hands than someone who's working a nine to five job, um, because we have to train and then rest and eat. Um, so we have a lot more time at home. And so I think, you know, especially once I graduated from college, I, um, I started cooking more and more and more, um, as I had the time and, I've really enjoyed it. I share a lot on Instagram of cooking. I think some people get uh, misinformation about being a professional athlete and fueling. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of young female runners that under fuel and are chronically injured because of it. Um, I think it's good to see that I eat, you know, sugar and fat and a lot of protein and a lot of carbs and a lot of vegetables i eat i eat it all <laughs> um yeah. but it's well, mostly you know it's mostly healthy that. food yeah, yeah it's mostly healthy food but it's okay to have you know a cookie here and there it's not gonna hurt you it's not gonna make you slower um but so i it's fun to share that and um i am working on a cookbook which i am not allowed to say yet when it comes out but it is all done <laughs> And um, that'll be talked about whenever I'm allowed to. And I'll be sure to share it on my Instagram. Um, but I wrote a cookbook and that was, um, you know, really fun and really a lot of labor, but uh, very fulfilling to see the recipes that I made up, you know, get put in a book. 
So absolutely coming out sometime and I'll be sure to share it on my Instagram. (laughs) Fantastic. Was that a lockdown, uh, a lockdown hobby doing that? Or uh, was that longer in the work? It worked out. Um, It worked out that uh, a lot of the work was done during lockdown, but then that actually kind of made it harder because the grocery stores, you know, it didn't feel great always going to the grocery store. And then often they were sold out of, you know, a lot of the ingredients I needed or weren't fully stocked and stuff. So it, I had more time, but it was, uh, my, my ingredient availability was sometimes, you know, hindered, but, um, yeah, that, Hmm. that was a lot of it during lockdown. Fantastic. Well, look, one, one of the areas I want to chat about is athlete advocacy and rights. It seems to be a growing, growing topic that we're hearing so much about in Olympic, Paralympic, professional sport. We met, of all places, at White House back in 2018 at what was billed, I think, as an emergency anti-doping summit. Um, and that was an amazing experience, obviously. You know, have you been, have you always been someone that defines your life by throwing yourself at different experiences? Yeah, I think um, I'm I'm a basically a creature of habit that I like to, um, you know, I like to train and rest and eat and cook and train again. And when the time allows um, for me to kind of take my head up from that, that uber focused life of training, um, I, I really do enjoy participating in these larger conversations. Um, you know, it's such an honor to get to go to the White House and have these discussions with representatives from so many different countries. Um, I've worked a lot alongside USADA um, and am now, you know, trying to advocate for different changes on, on in anti-doping, um, both through Athletics Association and individually. So it's, I think, again, what I, what I mentioned earlier is I think it's easy to keep your head down and train. And it's also easy to keep your head down and train and just speak up if you're personally affected by something, but I think it, it is important to me to try and participate in these larger conversations, even if it it isn't directly affecting me or my career, it might affect the career of my peers or the people 10 years from now who are competing. Um, and so it's, I really enjoy it. If I didn't, if I didn't, I wouldn't be involved with so many things outside of track in this arena, but it, it can be, um, it can be challenging at times, as you know, and it can be, you know, it does take a lot of time away. Like it just takes a lot of time, emails and calls and usually travel, (laughs) um, and trying to, you know, find like-minded people who you can ally with, um, but then also having really meaningful and productive conversations with people that don't agree. It's, it's all valuable to me. Um, and I'm happy that I get to dip my toes in this a little bit, both with, again, the athletics association that Christian Taylor started last year. Um, you know, some of the, the stuff I do on my own. Yeah, for sure. And as you say, you know, it all takes time. And, you know, you and I know from anti-doping, it, you know, things don't move quickly, as we know, but there is the bigger cause, there is the the bigger effort to, to make sport a fairer place. And at that meeting at the White House, you know, it was essentially some of the world's top athletes, you know, apart from wondering if they're going to be um, shaking hands with President Trump or not, they were, you know, there to ask for 
reform of anti- of the anti-doping system and, and of WADA and asking for athletes and the athlete community not to be marginalized in that discussion, you know, and this is all in light of, you know, the biggest doping scandal we've seen, the Russian doping scandal. And what motivated you, do you think, to attend that meeting? Well, um, Travis Tigard at USADA had reached out about it. And I have always, you know, admired the work Travis has done. Um, Mm. As I said earlier, one of my closest friends, Kara Goucher, she's always been a really big advocate um, in anti-doping and she has worked with Travis and trusted him so much. And so um, when Travis reached out, it was, you know, an easy decision. The only conflict is it was like two days before um, the Elk Run 5K. So I quickly Hmm. turn off my anti-doping advocacy, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, mind and go into a race director mind. But um, yeah, that, that trip was important because it was coming off of WADA changing their mind on, on Russia. And I, we all felt and still feel that, you know, this was the biggest anti-doping crisis and case in decades. And, you know, people were caught red handed in a countrywide systematic doping, um, scandal and WADA who is supposed to protect clean sport really just changed their mind on what punishments Russia should have to face and essentially said like, never mind, it's okay. We'll let you back into international sport. We all just, you included, you know, we're like, no, that's not okay. That's not what, um, what your job as WADA is. You're supposed to protect clean sport. You're supposed to protect athletes. And it was a real, um, look behind the curtain that, oh, wow, this is just a lot of what appears to be conflicts of interest, um, you know, sport minister interest, protection of the money making and sport and, um, without really thinking of athletes. And so, yeah, I actually, you know, world athletics that was, um, IAAF at the time in 2016, they actually had a really firm line and they didn't let Russian Russia compete as a nation in track Olympics um, or mm. on the track in the Olympics. Um, and so I actually felt and, and, or in the diamond league meeting since. So I actually felt my federation had protected, you know, track athletes and they saw like, no, this isn't okay, but it's frustrating that WADA, the, the people that are actually supposed to be saying it's not okay, just thought it was fine. That white house meeting was, was important i think yeah absolutely i think yeah it's interesting you mentioned the iwf and their kind of stance on the the russia issue around rio they were very strong as were the international paralympic committee um the international olympic committee were not strong they were kind of defying you know athlete and public opinion um a little bit of a head in the sand approach really most people view it as um and it's a shame you know i had a my first guest on this podcast series was becky scott who i'm sure you'll know well and has been a a leading figure leading light for for athletes and and for sports fans um and kind of trying to bring anti-doping authorities along along that path and you know she she was advocating for for the right kind of action back then as well obviously anti-doping was just the beginning of your athlete advocacy career if you like you're now the co-founder and vice president of a progressive new movement for track and field. 
uh, alongside Christian Taylor, no less. It's called the Athletics Association, and you know we worked together on it in the summer. How did it come about, and what is it aiming to achieve? Um, Christian Taylor, who's you know the goat in track, he um, <laughs> started this in November or December in 2019, really in response to um, an immediate response to the Diamond League, um, which is the the meets that are global, you know, the best track meets in the world are, are called the diamond league and mm. the diamond league cut five event areas from their competition. And so this was kind of one, like his response was forming this group and saying, look, all these decisions are made without ever talking to athletes. And if you talk to athletes, it's two, it's two or three athletes. And, and that's not representative of, the athlete body. And so, you know, he says, we are the sport. The athletes are the sport of track and field. And so mm. quit with the BS and start, you know, asking us what we want and asking us our, you know, asking our opinion. And so Christian started this and pretty quickly was able to get a lot of athletes, um, you know, aligned and allied with him. Um, and I think there's, there's some, there's endurance that is needed when, um, when working on something like this and, uh, luckily, you know, Christian had reached out to me and I had the endurance to kind of carry through with him, um, you know, through the winter. And it was really just he and I working on it, um, trying to build out a good board and really working on the issues that we cared about. And we were able to get, you know, a great, a great, um, board of the best athletes in track and field, different countries, different event areas. Um, and the, the real goal is to just be the advocates of what athletes globally are wanting and to be able to communicate that, um, and to be able to, you know, get, get feedback from athletes, share that feedback to world athletics or to the IOC, um, and just make sure athletes, wishes are communicated and be the advocates for the athlete body because right now often it feels like decisions are made when only a few athletes are asked you know on on uh athlete commissions um and those athletes are great and they spend a lot of time and effort advocating for what they think is right but what one individual thinks is right might not be the same thing that 200 other athletes think are right. So yeah. um, we just want to be able to communicate, um, you know, what the athlete body wants and needs and remind the decision makers that the athletes are the sport. We are the sport. So you should care about how, how your decisions are impacting us and have a little bit more transparency on how the decisions are made. Um, and don't make these sweeping changes to our sport that affect thousands of athletes without really considering our wishes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we are the sport is a catchy slogan, but it, you know, it's not just the slogan, it's the truth. And it's something that's been forgotten too much, isn't it? In recent years. And it, it's, I think you're really onto something, you and Christian, that, you know, it's part of a broader trend of it's been great to see athlete commissions, you know, semi-attached to the governing body it's been great to see them form that didn't used to exist at all but as we know there's you know there is a conflict there because who's going to kind of rattle the cage when they're they're you know only arm's length from the parent organization um and you really need those independent voices and you know i think what you guys are doing you know you're 
you're speaking the right language you know for athletes you're saying it as it is you're outspoken you're you know you're not constrained by politics bureaucracy red tape so much that we see in in the kind of governing bodies world um and i'm sure you guys are you know that that's your approach and that's how you're going to do things differently yeah i think it's it's important to have kind of both i mean i think it's important to have athletes that are on the inside on these athlete commissions that um you know, are consulted on private confidential matters and um, get voting rights on these boards. Um, But then I also think it's good to have an independent group that's, as you said, not afraid to ruffle any feathers, not afraid to speak out. We're not, we're not concerned about being perfectly aligned with what the governing body is saying. Um, And so it's, it's good to have both. And I think the people that are on athlete commissions in NGBs or at world athletics or at, you know, IOC level, I think are important and valuable and they are spending a lot of their time, you know, working on this and, and at world athletics, most of, you know, their active athletes participating in sports still sacrifice they're making, um, to get to participate, um, at that level. But it's great to have both, you know, someone has to be, the squeaky wheel that's uh, communicating sure. what athletes globally are wanting. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm happy that that's us. And, and we've been able to have productive conversations with the athlete commission. And, um, you know, we don't always agree. We often disagree, but it's, it's good to be able to collaborate and have, you know, two different sides of it. Yeah. So it's healthy disagreement. You know, it's, it's like you said, it's good to have people inside, inside the tent, that know what's going on there it's good to have people ex- externally as well and hopefully together you can kind of gain consensus on on the important issues that matter to the sport looking ahead what's next for emma coben then well um as i said i really would like to qualify for the tokyo olympics and be on the podium there um but in the meantime i'm just training um you know, we have beyond the other, the Elk Run and the Emma Band and the, the anti-doping advocacy and the Athletics Association and the cookbook, I my real job is to train. And that takes up, you know, most of my time and is, you know, the thing I love the most. So between now and next summer, I'll be just training really hard. You know, I'll probably do a few races in the indoor track season in February, I'll probably, you know, I hope to get to do some steeplechases before the Olympic trials. Um, and yeah, just, just be working really hard. That's my main gig. I do all this other stuff, but you know, 90, 90 or 95% of my life is training and resting and recovering and making sure I'm the best athlete I can be. So that's priority number one. And I'm going to be training pretty hard between now and Tokyo. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Amazing stuff. Well, Emma, thanks so much for joining me for this fourth episode of Athletes the Other Side. It's clear, and you have to excuse the the phrase here, but it's clear, clear you're running at pace with your career, both on the track and off it. But before we finish, there is one more thing we'd like from you, which is our six quickfire short and snappy questions for our section called The Other Side. That's coming up next. You're listening to Athletes, The Other Side. 
So welcome back. And here is our other side section. Six quick fire questions. First up, your favorite sporting moment of all time. I I have a really hard time either Olympic bronze Rio, um, but I or the World Championships 2017. And I think it's the World Championships 2017. Okay, good stuff. When I won. What's your favorite? Yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, I was saying when I won, just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a pretty good one. Uh, what's your favorite other side moment or your non-sporting moment? I think our very first Elk Run 5K, when that was over, just feeling like this labor of love that we just made up um, was successful and we were able to contribute you know, to the people we wanted to. Um, that was pretty special. Yeah, amazing. I'm looking forward to seeing it grow. It sounds like it's going strength to strength and uh, next year is going to be a big one with people eager to get back. Uh, Number three, what book are you reading? I am reading The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson. Okay, and uh, tell us more about it. It is about um, Winston Churchill's life in 1940 and 1941. And quite a dramatic time in history and so it's uh yeah it's uh eric larson is a great author he does awesome um historical non-fiction fiction coming together it's it's non-fiction but it um you know he he dives in and he adds color and it makes it um a really fun fascinating story to read and a lot of his other books i've really enjoyed uh, great stuff. Well, I've got to get myself a copy. He was, of course, a, a bit of a national hero over here. So, um, yeah. number four, one surprising fact that people might not know about you. Um, I qualified for the state championships when I was a freshman in the high jump. Um, <laughs> I jumped five one, which is not very high, but that uh, that's a fun fact about me that. Uh, you know, my high jump career ended when I was, uh, it was one year when I was 14 and my bus driver was my coach and I qualified for state. <laughs> okay, great. Number five, penultimate question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received or given? Um, my husband likes to say it's just running, babe. And I think that's important because it's not necessarily advice, but it's just always a good reminder of like, this is just running. Like you don't have to freak out or be stressed or it's just putting one foot in front of the other and doing it well um you know we don't need to make a mountain out of a molehill here we don't need to be too nervous before a race we don't need to be too down if we're hurt you know just it's just running so you know how to do it and go out there and do it well, I think that I think that's a line we could all do with because we all get quite wrapped up in our worlds and having a dose of perspective every now and get and every now and again just brings us back to to reality. Um, final question: Who would be your top three dinner party guests at the Coben household? I've been asked this a couple times before, and um, it's a really I truly do not know. I think it would honestly be. Um, family members I think I it would be my um my dad's sister who I never got to meet she was killed in a car wreck when she was a teenager um my grandma who passed away when I was only like four and I never really got to know her my dad's mom and 
probably my grandpa who's still alive, but he's like one of my favorite people to hang out with. So it'd probably be those three people um, because the two ladies I never really got to know. And uh, my grandpa, I just love spending time with. So I think it'd be a nice dinner. Yeah, nice, nice family affair. Fantastic. Uh, Brilliant. Emma, thanks so much for joining me. It's been really insightful. Um, For our listeners, tell us how they can follow all your various uh, escapades on social media. (laughs) Um, My Instagram is Emma Coburn and my Twitter is Emma J. Coburn and my Facebook, I think, is Emma Coburn Steeples. But um, yeah, I'm definitely most active on Instagram and uh, you'll see great updates on, you know, all of the crap I have going on there, but, um, it's, it's all really fun stuff. So, uh, you might learn some new exercises or you might learn what's happening in anti-doping or you might, uh, just get to see some pretty scenery in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, Emma, thanks so much again. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Thanks, Ben. Well, how fantastic it was to get Emma on the show today and learn more about this small town hero from Crested Boot in Colorado. And thank you to you all for listening to episode four. Thanks for your support so far. We've had a tremendous response to the launch of Athletes the Other other Side. So please do keep listening in. Plenty more to come. Plenty of that athletes from different eras, different sports, different countries. We are working on quite a number of new athletes in the weeks and months to come. If you've enjoyed this fourth installment of Athletes the Other Side and you want to see what else is going to come up, then subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Do tell us what you think. That's how we get better. Leave us a review, a written review. Rate us. Tell us all about your views on this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AthletesTOS. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and goodbye for now. <laughs>